Jedi Council is a podcast for entertainment and informational purposes only. It should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Hey folks, welcome back to the Jedi Council podcast where we like to explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. You don't know this, but this is take two because we goofed up the first take. So if it sounds like we're forcing the jokes, it's because we've already said them once. (laughs) This is your repeat uh, podcast co-host, Brandon Saxton. And your redundant other podcast co-host, Katie Gordon. Katie, there used to be a time where we just hit that record button and we just put out whatever content we recorded primarily because we didn't really know how to edit and a lot of the sounds we're recording were not on actual sound software just sort of like recording whatever voice recording Mm -hmm. that's not these days we're we're giving them a finer product we're really trying to do better and also part of it is that we're talking about a movie it's been a while since we've seen it i don't remember Mm. when we saw it we saw it in the theaters we saw get out just another piece of information that you'd think we uh, looked up ahead of time but we certainly don't have you are right we did see get out in theaters and we planned to talk about it right after we saw it for a few reasons Mm -hmm. one it's an awesome movie two it has a lot of important issues. And three, there's a lot of mental health-related components. So stuff related to hypnosis. There is a therapist. There's smoking cessation, which mm-hmm. isn't something you see in a lot of movies. No, so true. there's a lot of good stuff in there. So we, we have a two-part episode, and we're going to talk about it. Uh, this week, we'll talk a little bit about the hypnosis and smoking cessation, maybe a little bit about the therapist. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about delivering culturally competent psychotherapies and some of the issues that the movie brought up related to race. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, you know, we, like you said, we we liked the movie very much, but then we had these kind of other topics coming in, the yeah. movies come out, and we ended up just not getting to it as quickly. And also, I should say, part of it is that neither of us are expert in hip- experts in hypnosis so we had to do right. a, just a little bit of work and consulting with other people to make sure we could effectively discuss that but regardless here we are we may have forgotten a few things but we did refresh on the important components i think so. absolutely so it is worth mentioning like some of our listeners if you haven't seen in the movie in the wild we're going to do a quick plot summary uh if you haven't seen the movie at all i'd suggest just holding off on these episodes until you do see it because it's going to be just a hundred percent spoilers um, if you're not interested in that and you just want to hear about some of the mental health, I guess feel free to listen. But I think the movie is worth seeing, and I think that this two-part series that we do on Get Out is going to be a lot more interesting and meaningful if you have the context of it originally seeing the film. Because not only does it cover a lot of important issues, but visually it was actually pretty interesting in a lot of parts. And I'm afraid we're not going to quite be able to do it justice, particularly related to some of the scenes uh, depicting hypnosis. Um, so just with that being said, I would suggest maybe just checking out the films before you see it. Just the, the good old spoiler warning uh, one more time. And if you're not typically a horror film person, neither of us oh, are no. either. But this was so good that I don't think you have to be like a big time fan of the genre to enjoy it. It's 99% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it's really rare, I think. I don't I, think you see a lot of things hit that. It's hard for me to think of anything else that has that high of a percentage and very critically acclaimed as well. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe the first thing that I'll do is um, you heard me and Katie joking a little bit about our first attempt 
at this episode, and that was me trying to recall the plot and really just falling flat on my face. So I'm bringing you a live read. And let's be honest, I didn't help much. <laughs> well, because like you'd ask me a question, and I just started googling. The that's answers. okay. I I uh, I can't shirk my responsibility and not preparing in any way for the plot. Uh, it was a classic case of preparing more for the mental health stuff. But at any rate, I'm going to just read you the storyline as written right on IMDb, just to kind of refer- by anonymous by anonymous. It's important yeah. to think that's of the true. source. That is good, which I wonder if it's actually anonymous or if that's their name. That's That's a a very good question. The world will never know. No. So the storyline of Get Out, just to refresh your memory, if you, like us, haven't seen it in a while and couldn't quite remember the plot (laughs) when you tried to reiterate it on your podcast. Uh, It goes, Chris and his girlfriend Rose go upstate to visit her parents for the weekend. At first, Chris reads the family's overly accommodating behavior as nervous attempts to deal with their daughter's interracial relationship, but as the weekend progresses, a series of increasingly disturbing discoveries lead him to a truth that he could have never imagined. A couple of things about that summary, which I didn't read until I just read it. It has a few grammar errors. Uh, Maybe not, actually. It, it's okay. It doesn't actually tell you that much about the story. No, it does <laughs> give the, it gives the basic premise, though. It does. Uh, maybe I'm going to just quickly give a little bit deeper plot. I'm going to try this again. And okay. if, we, if we have to start over this episode again, it's going to be horrible. The plot, af- the terrible secret that he finds out is that uh, Rose is not actually interested in, in him at all. This is a, a series of black men that she has brought back to her family's sort of home where their bodies are auctioned off to this group of people that have the technology to transfer consciousness from one body to another through hypnosis being part of that to sort of inhibit the initial person's consciousness so this technology can move the consciousness and these people can live on very long lives. So that's really just a a really quick overview of the plot, and we'll be returning to a lot of the more specific details to the best that we can remember them as we talk about a lot of these specific constructs and and themes that are related to mental health as we move through the two-part episode. Exactly. And so one thing that I'm listening to, which will link to podcast Q&A and hearing Jordan Peele talk about his process, something that I was immediately fascinated by is when he said that he was really interested in writing something that had serious themes, including things about racism. So if you know Jordan Peele, he is biracial. One of his parents is black and one of his parents is white. And so he's coming from a particular perspective and that and he wanted to make his writing display that through the characters and through the themes. But part of his motivation was to have this conversation about racism that people would be engaged in and entertained by and thought that a movie might be an effective way to do that. And of course, on a show, um, Key and Peele, if you're familiar with it, was on Comedy Central. And a lot of that was taking serious type topics, but having satire and drawing people in that way. So I thought that was very clever. And something that I feel like we should put out there too is Brandon and I are white and we're talking about Get Out and we're going to talk about racially themed topics because we think it's really important. And as psychologists and mental health professionals, it is important that we're aware of how people are affected by racism so that we can provide the most effective services and also just to be more aware of the world outside of our own experiences. But when we're talking about this, 
it is limited mm -hmm. to our own experiences as white people. And so I want to be clear that if we say something that is wrong or mistaken, please contact us. And we're very right. open to feedback about that. We didn't want to not talk about this because we do like talking about relevant media, especially when it has important mental health implications. So we decided to talk about it anyway, but we admit that it's coming from a perspective of two white people. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said, Katie. And thanks, thanks for sort of pointing that out. So I, I, I really like the idea of using art uh, and in various mediums to talk about important issues and certainly something we can relate to yes as podcasters so maybe just to start things off uh we've kind of talked about the plot of get out maybe should we do a really quick just sort of overall impressions favorite part of the movie just to kind of get the conversation started yeah i think that's a great idea so my i'll go ahead and start uh even though my usual technique is to have you start well i think <laughs> was that i am uh, mixing it up i'm mixing it up this week so i'm not thinking about it i'm just speaking uh, is that I love the movie, uh, which I've sort of already made very clear. But yeah, no, I thought it was awesome. Um, the story was actually really interesting. Like you pointed out or mentioned earlier, I don't think either of us are particularly big fans of the horror genre. Uh, I think we're, I think I speak for us both when I say we both kind of fall in the comedy camp yeah. more traditionally. Um, and even like when we did our, our Myths episode, we talked about Hannibal Lecter and we both watched Hannibal uh i think we were messaging and like uh like this is, this a little, is creepy this is creepy <laughs> this is graphic uh no these thanks. are the sacrifices we make for the listeners yeah though. absolutely but watching get out didn't feel like a sacrifice no it, no, it was it, it was never like overly gory or no. it wasn't that sort of scary movie it was more of a thinker mm -hmm. and i really liked that um, so the movie really caught me in because I thought the plot was really interesting and it had a couple of like jump scare little parts, but nothing over the top or excessive in that realm, which I get tired of, uh, excessive jump scares because I think they're a little cheap sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was a real thinker and I, I really liked that. Mm -hmm. Um, and not only did it have a lot of like tension and like, oh, what's going to happen and what's going on here, a bit of mystery and I always enjoy mystery. But it also had a few parts where I was just cracking up. And that's particularly uh, in the form of Chris's friend Rod. And I, I'm just going to talk a little about, about Rod Please for a do. second. Rod is a TSA agent. And Rod seems to think that the TSA is more like the FBI <laughs> or the CIA. Which, oh my goodness, was it ever hilarious. Just the way he talks about how the TSA handles things. <laughs> And uh, he... and they have a very important job to oh, be clear. Absolutely. But it is, but it is interesting. I wouldn't necessarily think that most TSA people would view themselves like at the investigator level that right. he sometimes does, outside and ultimately of pulls airport. off. Right? Yeah, not, outside the airport. Right? <laughs> he's not. He's not at the airport. No, it's a generalizable skill to him. Yeah, though. and I thank you for that. I don't mean to demean or diminish. No, I didn't think. I didn't way. think you were. I just. But even like he interacts with other police detectives when he realizes Chris is missing and they're laughing at him exactly. even. Because the character is so funny and over the top with just how the authority that he commands as a TSA agent. Like he views them as as colleagues, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he's there to sort of fill them in and like, okay, like we got to rally what I the piece troops together. Yeah. yeah. And uh and the I think it's maybe a sergeant or someone who he's speaking to calls in a few other detectives and has them repeat the story and they all have a laugh at him. Mm -hmm. And uh not only that, but in spoilers again one more time, at the end of the movie Chris's it, things there's kind of a shootout and things are getting bloody and then uh Rod rolls in in a presumably like 
I don't think the TSA has police vehicles. I don't know where he got that police vehicle. But he rolls in with the lights blaring and saves the day and says something along the lines of, that's how the TSA does it. Yeah. (laughs) No, he's great. And, you know, that thing that you mentioned about him going to the police, this is part of what I think is Jordan Peele's brilliance in this and how he talks about having this entertaining way of talking about serious topics because I did feel like part of the message there is the bad experience of like, you know, something's going on and this happens. This is something that's racist and you go to the police and they're not believing you. Mm -hmm. But then the secondary part is like, it's paired also with this TSA thing. And like I, Jordan Peele talks a little bit about how he was trying to reach people by getting these kind of general things that most people could relate to, but then putting in these other things that are more specific to his own thoughts and fears that are related to racism. And so that is a great example of a scene. And he said with Rod, like, part of it was just having, you know, when you watch a horror movie, and if you're in a theater, sometimes people will yell out things like, Mm -hmm. don't go there, look behind you, and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And he said, like, Rod's role was to be the person who actually says the things you want to say, which grounds you in reality despite the kind of magical things that happen that Mm -hmm. are fictional throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, I agree. He was outstanding, though. Throughout, he's warning Chris, like, you got to get out of there. There's something clearly wrong. Mm -hmm. And Chris, uh, responding in a very more rational way, Mm -hmm. sort of like, yeah, things are a little weird here, but, you know, obviously has the motivation to impress potential in-laws or mm-hmm. people who might be in-laws someday. So he's kind of trying to stick it out despite some weird things that are going on. But Rod's Which we can them, all relate to, right? Like absolutely. It's, you know, you meet your partner's family the first mm-hmm. time. There are things that are uncomfortable. That part seems like generally relatable. And then he has some specific things that he's experienced kind of related to being introduced you know, as a, as a black man to a white family. Mm-hmm. And so he, it seems like he's pulling from some of that in the writing. But most of us were like, yeah, things are weird. And you kind of check in with your friend, like, this does this seem weird to you? But you're right. Rod is the one who's like, no, like, seriously, now you need to get out yeah. of there, you know? Yeah. Just how the audience feels, because we know something terrible is going to happen. Absolutely. Otherwise, it would be not a scary movie and a real snoozer. And <laughs> not titled Get Out. Right. It would be Stay There. <laughs> Okay, so that's my impression of the movie. What did you think, Katie? I thought it was great. I mean, I it's hard to think of a second where... So, like, I it seems like... I was talking to someone about this. Movies seem to be getting longer and longer. This movie was well edited. It felt yeah. like every part had a specific reason for advancing the plot mm-hmm. or making a point or that was entertaining. So I thought it was very fast-paced, and it was suspenseful, of course. But I felt like it was really engaging, and I agree that the idea that and Jordan Peele, again, it was really fascinating to listen to him talking about what inspired him, and he said one of the things that he thinks are is scariest is if you base things on some real fears and then kind of exaggerate them Mm -hmm. or make them more magical within the movie. And so part of what you're saying is like he made some of it was clearly fictional, but the non-fictional parts, it was scary to think about it because it has this dose of realism. Like Mm -hmm. some of these things kind of really happen. Um, And that's also the part that after leaving the movie, I thought about a lot. And so anything that you're thinking about, you know, this much time later, I feel like that means it's an impactful movie. At least it was to me. Obviously, a lot of people really enjoyed it. I mean, it was very successful. Yeah, it kind of goes back. I I think it's a real thinker. Mm -hmm. It's a real thinking movie, or at least thought-provoking. 
uh, I just call that a thinker. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Thinking is good <laughs> for psychologists. To do it once in a while. So <laughs> I'm going to trademark it. <laughs> Thinker. As your genre. Yeah. Well, there are some movies that are real not thinkers. <laughs> yeah, just real, just kind of tune out and just... Mm-hmm. I'm going to alienate some people by saying this, but I'm going for it. Michael Bay Transformers movies. Those aren't ones I would describe as thinkers. Those are more flashy and slow motion and explosions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I, think th- I thought the first few were very entertaining. I think that they've overstayed their welcome maybe and that's just my own personal <laughs> opinion and there are like i've heard news about the next one coming up in the the most immediate next one isn't even out yet and i'm hearing news about the one after that and that's just enough transformers for me for a while we really want some more from jordan peele i think he is writing another movie but that one i think is gonna you know i don't know anything about it but obviously this one was very successful yeah. so more of that less yeah. less transformers if you're a transformers fan that's okay. That's okay. We like that. You, Plus, not to, you know, I watch some movies that are just for fun, too. But mm-hmm. I say, but there's something really satisfying about something that's scary, entertaining, yeah. funny, and has, like, that magical recipe, but also, like, really has you thinking when you leave. Yeah. There's something about that that kind of, and I think that's what a lot of people, the critics, were saying. Like, this is very different. This is kind of a game changer within yeah. the horror genre. It's something really unique and novel. It's not... It's not a reboot. It's not a recreation. Those types of things. Have you seen the Transformers movie? Skating? I saw the first one, and I may have seen one after that. But so I think I agreed that I, the first one was fun, but I think I only saw it once. Do you remember anything that happened in it? No, I vaguely remember who was in it. Mm, I've seen the first four, <laughs> and I, I can just barely remember anything that happened in any of them. And that's something that. I was listening to the Weekly Planet podcast this yeah. morning. It's a show I really like, and they were talking about it. And they were saying, you can't remember anything that happens in it, because it's just too much. It's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's, not, it's not a thinker. It's just a watcher. <laughs> Those are my two, that's how I'm going to categorize movies from now on. I, I like that, and I, have, I even have a transition with, oh, the, with the thinker. I like it. One common belief about hypnosis is that you're not thinking, that you're in a trance-like state. Hypnosis is an interesting part of this movie, and it maybe is. we can talk a little bit about that, unless you want to talk about some more overall impressions first. No, I think the overall impressions are good, and I think the Transformers tangent was good. <laughs> Let's get back to the basics with hypnosis. Okay, that, that sounds good. So um, something that I that stands out is like whenever there's a mental health professional in a movie, oh, yeah. I get a little bit nervous. Like that's one of my fears, mm-hmm. that people are going to get negative messages and not seek out mental health help. And uh, this was not a good Ooh. mental health professional. Was she a psychiatrist, I believe? You know what? I'm ha- I'm having a hard time remembering now. Like a lot of the specific details of the movie. It's weird how I just really praised the movie for being a real thinker. But then I failed to remember a lot of the specific details. But I remembered the take-home points. And you, Yeah, you remember the concepts and yeah. Chris and the main players and that yeah. kind of stuff. But... You know, who knows if they even were clear about what kind of mental health professional she was. I, I want to say that she was identified as a psychologist. And a hypnotherapist. Yeah, a I hypnotherapist think for certain. That's what it was. And so um, she was certainly a mental health professional, and she was kind of caught, I think, caught Chris smoking. Yep. Uh, yep, she did, because he went out, I think, in the evening maybe to smoke, or maybe it was in the day, but she certainly did come across him smoking and she asked him, do you smoke in front of my daughter? 
Uh, so yeah, it was it was a little confrontational, and mm-hmm. there was a little tension in the interaction. Yeah, and so maybe the first thing we'll comment on is that it is realistic that someone who smokes and who's a who has a nicotine dependence, first of all, would want to smoke after a certain amount of time, but maybe especially after some of the awkward mm-hmm. moments that they had when they were interacting mm-hmm. with the family, and like some of it seemed like. They were trying to be warm and welcoming, right? They're trying mm-hmm. to present as, like, this progressive family. But then it seemed like, from Chris's perspective, and that the movie's point was that they were actually treating him a little bit differently mm-hmm. because he was black. Like, they were bringing up things like Obama and Tiger Woods. Yep. And this is one of those things that Dorian Peele said is, like, not... It's just something to think about. Am I talking a different way or interacting a different mm-hmm. way? And like I said, we'll talk more about that next time. But the point was, those were, it was a little stressful. And it would have been awkward anyway, maybe particularly in light of those types of mm-hmm. things. And so it makes sense, if you're a smoker, that you might be triggered by stress mm-hmm. and go out and smoke a cigarette. Absolutely. And also buy nicotine withdrawal. So that part was realistic. Absolutely. Um, and she offers, as a part of her treatment and it's uh, it's already identified that she's a hypnotherapist or a mental health professional mm-hmm. of some sort she offers to treat him and she's i don't remember the exact claims but she makes a pretty strong claim that she can knock out his nicotine dependence in like one session yeah. she says uh and she describes that she actually does therapy involving hypnosis she says she's very successful i think she that they even maybe talk about she wrote a book i might be making that part up that might be my own uh just sort of memories listen to the false memory episode yeah uh, but, i was thinking that too but she certainly talks about how she, i think she can knock out the nicotine dependence in one episode of hypnotherapy and he uh respectfully sort of declines uh, no thanks I, i'm just not quite interested and that's kind of how that interaction goes that's and it's true. a little cringy it is and so part of it is because we should talk about maybe professional boundaries and who we treat uh yeah so one thing, have we ever talked about dual roles or dual relationships on this podcast, Katie? If we did, it was ever so briefly. Yeah, so dual roles or dual relationships in the context of mental health professionals would be a situation in which you have a dual role with a patient or a client in that not only are you treating them for whatever mental health pathology they're experiencing, but also you share another role with them, be it uh, they are dating your daughter uh, for that specific example, uh, sometimes you might see this more commonly in small towns or communities where these roles are, or it's a little bit harder to avoid those roles where the uh, mental health professional might be more integrated in the community. But typically you want to try to avoid those roles because a main part of effective and efficient psychotherapy is really taking an objective approach with your client or patient. And that's often very challenging to do, especially... it. W- you would not treat someone who is dating your daughter, right. for, as an example. Uh, that would not be something you would see anywhere. No, how um, could you be totally open to yeah. someone when you are trying to impress right. them? And, you know, there are just a number of factors that are wrong in that case. Right. The more uh, real-life example, like I talked about, that you might see in a small community, might be someone who you see at a store that you go to, mm-hmm. where you would make sure that you communicated clearly with the patient ahead of time, say, maybe something along the lines of, like, when I worked with the domestic violence program, I always said, you know what, 
it's likely I might see you in the community just given that Fargamore Heights a small community. I'll never say hi to you. That's not because I'm not interested in seeing being seen talking to you. It's just to respect your confidentiality and your privacy. And if you say hi to me, I'll say hi back. But otherwise, I'm just going to look at you and I'll just pretend I don't know you. And so that's a, just one example of where you want to set those boundaries ahead of time to minimize any sort of... Uh, seeing them outside of session. Yeah, so there's no conflict of interest when you're treating someone you know. A big part of it is being able to be open without fear of judgment and confidentiality, and that just wouldn't work. So that's the first sign that there are some boundary issues, which will become much more significant. It's just even the fact that she's saying that. And the realistic part of it, too, is the claim. I've certainly seen ads of claims that hypnosis after mm -hmm. a session or two can lead to weight loss mm -hmm. or quitting smoking or whatever it is. Those claims are out there. Whether they're substantiated is a different story altogether, right. but the claim is often that they're going to do something that is going to suggest, it could be various things, but one of them I've heard of is that make it so that whenever you think about a cigarette, you feel nauseated mm -hmm. so that you're not interested in smoking anymore. Mm -hmm. So it starts off that way. And so maybe... Now would be a good time just to talk a little bit about the background of hypnosis. Sure. Uh, before that, have you ever been hypnotized, Katie? And I know, like, I, I think that this is, like, almost a staple here in the Midwest, is that when we graduate high school, we have, a like, an overnight party, and they all seem to have a hypnotist. Oh, really? Yeah. I have never heard of this oh, tradition yeah. before. That, I, maybe I'm just uh, incorrect in that, but, like, it seems like everyone who I know who's graduated high school in this area, has had that party with a hypnotist at it. So, so. that's really interesting. In Florida, we go to Disney World oh, for, huh. for grad night. Is it Sounds like that? <laughs> nope. Nope, I'll tell you it's not. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a lock-in overnight party oh. um, where they have, at least I can only describe my own, it was, uh, there was like a casino night sort of thing, and you would win tickets to put in for prizes, and there was like, a car was one of the prizes, Ooh, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I think I won a magic bullet, which I still use today. Hey. Um, but I did not get hypnotized, um, and nor have I ever been hypnotized, but that was the only, maybe I've seen two hypnotists, I don't remember where the other one might have been. It may have been an on-campus event here at NDSU as an undergraduate, because I think they invite a hypnotist here every year. What did the hypnotist do at your lock-in uh, party? So he had people doing a variety of things. Now, a full disclosure, my memory of things pre-graduate school isn't great. And my high school graduation certainly falls in that category. But I remember there was something about telling uh, people that they, they stood up and said something like, you really have to go to the bathroom. And I remember one person put his hands right on his rear end and just like bolted for the door towards where the bathroom this was. This sounds like a nightmare for I, high school. It sounds like a horror story. Yeah, no. that's terrible. Uh, yeah, there were sort of the people who were more interested yeah. in being involved in that sort of stuff who really could have a good laugh at okay. themselves. So it was, well, good for them. <laughs> yeah, no one was embarrassed for certain. That's good. So it was things like that. And then the traditional sort of things, uh, I having people stand on a one leg or... Just goofy little things like that is what I sort of recall, but it's I don't remember it very, terribly well. It was it was a while ago now. Huh, this is very interesting. But I wasn't willing to volunteer. No. I can understand why. <laughs> Especially after seeing it. I was kind of <laughs> yeah, ready to step back. Yeah, I have not been under hypnosis, and I... So neither of us are experts or trained in hypnosis that uh, I'm aware. Well... A lot of my training comes from you. So. And I didn't train you in it because I don't have expertise in it. Um, 
However, from my understanding, we did have someone in our Department of Faculty mm-hmm. Member Site Hypnosis, and from what I understand, it there is some scientific evidence that it's helpful for certain types of medical conditions, maybe perhaps including chronic pain. We're going to link to an episode from the podcast, Stuff That Works, where they go really into depth Mm -hmm. into hypnosis and the history, and that's great. Mm -hmm. But we're going to just give a little bit of a brief part and then talk about what we do know about, which are evidence-based treatments for um, smoking cessation for people who want to quit smoking. So before we start, Mm -hmm. do you think it's worth maybe just clarifying the difference between hypnosis and hypnotherapy? Oh, yeah. Do you think that's obvious? No, I don't think it is obvious. Okay, so... I actually don't... I'm unclear, so now I will learn. Oh, perfect. And I'm speculating, okay. so we might be <laughs> learning together. Once we look it up later, edit this all out. Um, no, so sort of the way that I understand it, I just mm-hmm. want to make sure my terms are clear, is I, don't, I didn't mean to trivialize hypnosis right. uh, with my example of having someone run because they feel like they need to use the restroom. Uh, like you said, there are uh, psychologists and other professionals, researchers who study hypnosis. There are clinicians who use hypnosis as a mechanism for uh, psychotherapy called hypnotherapy. Um, what I was talking about, of course, is more of a party, like an, know, entertainment. an entertainment. No, no, I yeah. I agree. Um, that that is a big difference, and I, there are people who specifically go to be entertained. Yes. And the person depicted in this is a hypnotherapist. She's trying yes. to help mental health concerns. Yeah through hypnosis, which is very different kind of than putting on a show and making a spectacle and entertainment. Yep. The person who I described was a performer, uh, not a mental health professional or likely a medical professional anyway, though I don't know that for sure. Yeah. That's, that's a great distinction. And, um, you know, it's interesting because the beginning of hypnosis, which is often attributed to Mesmer, Mm -hmm. um, he did, he was curing kind of psychological problems that didn't seem to have a physical underlying cause in some cases, or that's what he was claiming mm-hmm. to do, but it was often in front of people. So it had some of the hypnotherapy components from my understanding and also some of the more entertainment type components. Do you know about when this happened? I'm putting you on the spot again. That's okay. It was in the... 1700s. Okay, so quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Certainly before we had the DSM. Yes, yeah, that so, is for sure. Yeah, so certainly before we were really organized in thinking about mental health uh, specific disorders and things like that. Yes, um, and the term mesmerized mm-hmm. comes from mesmer, and mm-hmm. that was kind of what he was doing. And so his his idea, yeah, I think that's a good point because some of the things that he was trying to treat were people had physical symptoms. And this information is from that Lillianfeld et al. book on myths that we'll link to as well. That's been very helpful for us as a yeah. resource. And so what he, so what mesmer would do, he was a Viennese physician who would do demonstrations to treat people who had like paralyses mm-hmm. or things like that. And like I said, they seem to stem from stress factors. And so the DSM currently would probably most likely put those into the categories of what are called conversion disorders, mm-hmm. where person's experiencing some significant problem, but they've kind of ruled out medical causes mm-hmm. that they can find can for I, them. Can I talk about a specific case I heard of oh, a conversion yeah, sure. disorder, just to give people yeah, another yeah. example? Uh, this was a person who was... A, um, a middle-aged white male who was a fairly successful lawyer and had just intense uh, problems with aggression and anger. And when he would become just incredibly angry, he would go completely blind. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So it's kind of a unique case that I, mm-hmm. I actually heard about that one on my first year of practicum. Oh, okay. Kind of an interesting example of the disorder where th- there was no medical reason, you know, and, and somehow it was linked to his emotion, which isn't always the case. But for this person, just when he would become this very emotionally dysregulated, his vision would go. Yeah, and that was um, sometimes called hysterical blindness, mm-hmm. right? That that it's relatively rare. But mm-hmm. you, you would also, that's that's a great example. Yeah, just one. One yeah. quick example. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, and, and there are other things, too, where people kind of lose the functioning in their hands or mm-hmm. in their legs or things like that. And uh, sometimes they find if reducing the stress or addressing the underlying problem can improve the symptoms, yeah. right? And then I should also say, in some cases, people are found later to have medical problems that were just undiagnosed at the pro- mm-hmm. at the time and they didn't know what the source was. So what... What Mesmer believed is that there was an invisible magnetic fluid that filled the universe and triggered these types of psychological way called nervous illnesses. And that when it became unbalanced within an individual, that's when they had these problems. And through hypnosis, he could balance them out and cure them. And so I thought this was really interesting because it was actually debunked by a commission led by Benjamin Franklin, who was an American ambassador to France at the time. I don't know what they thought about an ambassador who was debunking Mesmer at the time, (laughs) but um, the commission believed that what we would call in modern terms, that what was really happening with the hypnosis was a placebo effect, that individuals believed that what Mesmer was doing was causing them to feel better, and that was in turn making them feel better. And the placebo effect is something that has been well studied since that time, and does seem to be a major part of kind of evaluating all treatments, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the standards that we compare to see if a treatment is better than placebo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that's good to know. The invisible magnetic fluid that fills the universe isn't the cause. I always believed that well, up until now, this moment. Now you know. Now I know. Thanks, Ben Franklin. We're learning together. I, I thought that was really interesting. I didn't. I had never heard that Benjamin Franklin had done that before. To, to be clear, I, I didn't actually believe that. No, <laughs> but I didn't know that Ben Franklin was involved in the debunking of that belief. No, so I didn't it. know that. I didn't know that either. It's very interesting. Until I just read it. Thanks um, for tuning in. <laughs> this is where we learn all kinds of stuff. Um, so maybe we can talk about uh, that's so. That, so the the myth isn't that yeah. you can't be hypnotized, right? Right. The myth was that this person Mesmer probably wasn't using hypnosis to cure these specific disorders. Yeah, ex- and his theory about how it worked right. yeah. was the myth. Right. right. The the mechanism through which he was doing it was probably more likely a placebo effect, mm-hmm. uh, which was related placebo effect. And you explained a little bit mm-hmm. related to expectations about getting better or a certain outcome happening because of a treatment. Probably not related to magnetic fluid filling the universe being out of balance. Right, exactly. And so one of the things that seems that some people have said, other than a placebo effect, seems to help with hypnosis has to do with the relaxation state that people (laughs) sometimes report achieving through hypnosis. And that that could have also, I would guess, if I had to go back and I was on Benjamin Franklin's commission, Mm -hmm. that if you're having something that's kind of triggered or exacerbated by stress and you're feeling relaxed Mm -hmm. through this hypnotic 
intervention, yeah. then that could have possibly also contributed to it. Um, so, so anyway, that's a, a very basic of it. But there is another myth, and we see this in Get Out. So basically, what happens to Chris oh, yeah. when she hypnotizes that's him? That's a great... So he's actually hypnotized the first time against his will. Um, uh, uh, oh, man. I don't remember the, the potential mother-in-law's name, but the psychotherapist who we've been referring to without a name, uh, who's Rose's mother, when... Missy. Oh, yeah, Missy. Uh, so she has... Chris come into her office, and I think they're just going... She kind of leads him in there that they're just going to have a quick chat. and uh, Over tea. Over tea, yeah. And that actually introduces the mechanism through which she hypnotizes people that I think we've already been uh, introduced to as the viewer prior to that, if I remember correctly, which has something to do with the sound that it makes when she rubs the spoon around the uh, top of the tea mug, teacup, mm-hmm. china... Uh, in a specific way, it makes a certain noise, and that's the mechanism through which she is hypnotizing her patients or clients. So she does that to Chris against his will, and what it does is it sends him, what was it called again? You've referenced it like four times. The sunken place. The sunken place, yeah. And visually, this is what I was talking about in one of the mini takes that we did for the beginning of this episode. I don't remember if I spoke about it now. The sunken place, what it looks like is Chris falling backwards out of his chair and it's almost like if you can imagine your visual spatial field staying in place and you falling away from it and it sort of this looks like what's coming out of your eyes is a tv screen almost straight ahead of you and you're falling into just nothingness and it's terrifying it's terrifying because you can't move and Mm -hmm. oh my gosh it's terrifying yes so that's the way through which she is uh treating individuals the hypnotherapy is how she's treating the smoking. This is the way through which she's sort of suppressing or inhibiting the consciousness of these individuals who Rose is bringing back to her parents, which is a part of the overall larger plot. Right. So, yeah, it's under the guise of hypnosis for smoking, and that's yes. how she tried to lure him in. But like you said, she's really trying to get him in this state so she can capture him and they can use his body to transfer someone who is having physical ailments into it. So he does wake up the next day, doesn't remember Mm -hmm. exactly what happened. He wakes up in bed, I think, which presumably she hypnotically told him to go to bed. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't quite remember exactly what happened, but he doesn't smoke anymore. Yes, that's right. So yeah. there's the the trance. Um, so this is where the myth comes in, and Lillian Feld addresses a, this. A myth, few myths, probably. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. So one of them is that hypnosis is a unique trance state that differs in kind from wakefulness. And so the reason that this is a myth is because, fortunately, you can't really put someone into a state through hypnosis where they're doing things against their will mm-hmm. or they're not aware of what's going on around them. What hypnosis in modern times is more typically described as is the idea that you're in a state where you're more open to suggestion. So if someone is saying, you know, you're feeling relaxed, if you're in a hypnotic state, that the idea that you might be, you may be more open to mm-hmm. that. And interestingly, hypnotizability is, appears to be a genetic personality trait that people have different levels of and um, which they named after the level of suggestibility under the state of hypnosis. But anyway, that's a, that's a side point. And so in often in fictional depictions, sometimes that used to be like a pocket watch was in yeah. front of the person or there would be other things. And a so spiral. Yes. The spiral thing spin. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. And mm. so like in hypnosis, sometimes people do use cues like yep. that uh, so that so analogously, some... that was her cue. Was the co- the coffee mug? 
yeah, exactly. just to make that connection. No, clear. exactly. So sometimes, realistically, people do that. Sometimes they don't mm -hmm. use a, a, an additional prop or a sound. But the reassuring thing is that what would happen is, first of all, he wouldn't go into hypnosis against his will. I mean, mm -hmm. that doesn't that doesn't really happen. I'm not saying it's never happened, but it doesn't really tend to happen. What happens instead of going into a trance dissociative like state, mm -hmm. meaning you lose sense of consciousness or you lose time, is you tend to be more aware of the things that they are talking about, right? Mm -hmm. you, you might feel relaxed or you might notice something and respond to it differently, but it's not that you're kind of having a memory loss and doing things mm -hmm. that you're unaware of. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. So, and one thing that we do talk about on this show, maybe you remember this, Katie, is empirically supported interventions. It's uh, it's something that we've is important to us and our training and the way that we conceptualize mental health and uh, approach treatment to mental health. So, just to reiterate that, and it's something that our listeners are probably familiar with, but just in case there's someone new in the audience, uh, an empirically supported intervention would be one that has uh, science sort of backing up its use or the treatments used for a specific disorder and there can be different levels of support and there can be different treatments uh, that have been investigated and so on and so forth. Um, so what do we know about hypnosis or hypnotherapy uh, in terms of evidence for smoking cessation? Because if I was to take my evidence from the film, I would say it's really good stuff. There are some downsides, but there are the, some downsides. But, but wasn't interested in smoking. Right, wasn't interested in smoking. Also experienced uh, a very unpleasant state. Uh, most people wouldn't. I, I that might scare some people out yeah. of hypnosis. It would scare me out it of hypnosis. Scared me just from watching. Oh, no, gosh. I I agree. Well, I talked to an expert. Perfect. Who has done a lot of research, and we can talk a, even a little bit more about. It, but interestingly, looks at smoking altogether how people successfully quit smoking and also looks within ethnic minority groups what particular stressors or factors might be related within those individuals and so i asked her what is the whoops sorry <laughs> to do that um i asked her what is kind of viewed as the gold standard for treatment if someone wants to quit smoking and she said it is a combination of nicotine replacement therapy and so that means using something like the nicotine patch or using nicotine gum and so that way the person is getting nicotine into their system but it's in a way that doesn't come it's with the unhealthy effects of smoking and inhaling smoke and the other parts of that but still reduces the cravings for smoking mm -hmm because they have nicotine within their system. So that seems to be helpful in reducing relapse. And that especially paired with behavioral support, which is kind of a general term that can mean counseling or having mm -hmm. someone that you talk to about with your about your cravings and how to problem solve, you yeah. know. So for some people, a big risk for relapsing with smoking cigarettes is when out drinking and maybe especially out drinking at a bar or with friends or something like that and people step out to have a cigarette. And so that therapeutic aspect or the behavioral support aspect might talk about how do you cope with these types of situations without relapsing. And, and so those combinations are what we would recommend over hypnotherapy by Missy from yeah. Get Out. The other downfall of the hypnotherapy uh, by the professional, as you already pointed out, is potentially losing your body. Right. Not yeah. Great. No, I think that that would definitely fall under the treatments that harm. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Uh, we should, yeah, we should come up with a 
fictional list of treatments that harm. That'd yeah. Be fun oh my gosh. This one would be the top of the list. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that in general, this representation of a mental health professional is terrible. <laughs> so do you mean it's terrible in that it's harmful potentially to the mental health community or field, or do you mean it's terrible in that the professional is a terrible person? Both. Yeah. And I think that, like, it's a horror film, so I would right. like to believe that people be like, yeah, but, you know, like, I know they're not going to believe that they know the sunken place is fictional, but I think they're going to know, like, hey, this is, um, you know, this person is a bad person mm -hmm. or whatever they are thinking, or it's a villain or something like that. But because there aren't a lot of other positive counter-representations of mental health professionals, I still worry that it um, kind of adds to these misconceptions about hypnosis. Mm -hmm. And if I can, you said that hopefully people would know that maybe the song in place isn't real. I want to point out something that happened to me after seeing Split was I, I had people ask me if individuals who suffer from dissociative identity disorder actually undergo physical transformations as a result of that. And that's something that, of course, to us seems like, oh, of course, people will know that's obviously not real. But there were people that asked me. So that makes me wonder, maybe there are people who would see the sunken place and think, oh, my gosh, I'm never getting hypnotized. Yeah, no, it, that's true. It makes true. me wonder. No, that's true. And importantly, I think one thing that's really important is it doesn't, and I understand this wouldn't fit within the movie, and the, it's an entertainment and it's right. not a public service yes. kind of project, is it doesn't show like what actually helps with smoking cessation. Mm. And so there's more bombardment, I think, of ads that are like, one session of hypnosis and you'll quit smoking as opposed to like nicotine replacement therapy with behavioral support. That's not the way to help. No, it's yeah. not. And so it's it's kind of like I also worry that people might not have an idea about what again, this is nothing about the movie or the creator of the movie. Right. This is totally besides the point, but still people might not understand that there are these effective ways to reduce the likelihood of relapsing from smoking cessation. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. All right. Anything else that you want to say about Get Out related to hypnosis or smoking sensation or just overall impressions before we maybe wrap up our part one, Katie? Um, you know, maybe just one thing that I will say is that there are some states that have these what because of public health reasons are concerned about reducing smoking they will make things like nicotine replacement therapy and behavioral support whether it's in a group or individual free or pretty inexpensive so it's worth looking into if you are out there listening and you are someone you care about is interested in quitting smoking then sometimes you can get access to these mm -hmm. things for reduced rates or even you know if if you're interested in that and really want to know like what's the most effective way. And I think we talked about this last time. There is sometimes a myth that if you use a nicotine replacement therapy, like if you use the patch or something, you're cheating, you're not really mm -hmm. quitting. But again, we talked about that as a misconception because it does reduce a lot of the harmful effects that come with smoking. And also often people use that for a period of time and then reduce their use. Mm -hmm. And so if you're interested in that, I recommend exploring that option. Again, we don't give medical advice on this show it's just for informational purposes but i would recommend talking to a medical or mental health professional about your various options all right well maybe we'll leave it at that then for this episode and we'll pick up next time and talk a little bit about uh race and how can we use what we know to make informed and culturally competent treatment decisions how does that sound 
That sounds good to me. All right, folks. Thank you so much, as always, for listening in. Uh, you can find us at www.jedicouncil, well, jedi-council.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook. Jedicouncil.com was taken, so we had to take the hyphen. We should sue them and get the name for ourselves. <laughs> we, we'll they be, offered that at a cost, but I don't say more than to me. We'll be the Sith Council. <laughs> exactly. Uh, if you like what you hear, uh, send us a message, tweet about us, tweet at us. Uh, tell us about the characters, movies, shows, TVs, comics, games you want to hear us talk about. We don't talk about a lot of games, but... It's could, mostly me because my game repertoire is limited. That's okay. And uh, if you like what you hear also, we love the reviews that you leave on iTunes. Those are always really great too. So as always, thank you so much for listening in. And you'll be you'll hear from us uh, next week.